Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for all citizens. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Bell-Smith. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Lee Hall. Dr. Hall is a professor at the University of Wyoming, where she holds the Wyoming Excellence in Higher Education Endowed Chair in Illiteracy Education. She taught middle school language arts and social studies in Houston, Texas, before returning to graduate school to earn a doctorate in literacy education. Dr. Hall's research centers on helping adolescents improve their academic reading and writing abilities. She examines how teachers can work with diverse learners to help them improve their literacy practices within the context of the classroom. Her research has received several awards and she has published in numerous journals. Welcome, Lee. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Shelley. Really glad to be here. So it's been about a year since you were on the podcast and you have been really busy with research. You were featured in a TED Talk in February about some of that work, which I love TED Talks. So that's super impressive to me. Can you start by telling us what led you to the TED Talk? Yeah. So it was um, 2019, so it was before the pandemic. I honestly, I just woke up one day. I swear this is how it happened. I just woke up one day and I thought I'm tired of only speaking to these very small narrow audiences. Um, So I do a lot of conference presentations for other academics about my research. And I think that's fine. I think that has its place. But I wanted, I felt like my research can do more and it can reach more people if I, if I could figure out how to land a TED talk. And so that's really what motivated me was to just get my work out in a way that could help other people and help a wide range of people. Well, and I think that that's exactly what it's, going to do. And so I was so excited when I first watched it. It was just brilliant. And I will post a link to it. So the TED Talk really draws upon some of your experiences from earlier in your career with students. Can you tell us about these two students that you talk about and what did you learn from them? Yeah. So um, in my TED Talk, I talk about Ronnie and Sarah, right? They were from very early on in my career. And so Ronnie was a student in my language arts and social studies class when I taught sixth grade in Houston. And for me, what Ronnie did was open my eyes up to the fact that reading could look all different ways, which I think now is pretty, it's pretty commonplace to have that understanding. Like, you know, being a reader is so much more than reading what gets assigned in school. But this was the late 90s. And we didn't have those kinds of understandings, right, about how to think about kids more broadly as readers. And so finding out, you know, I talk in the in the TED Talk, I um, talk about how Ronnie was really into wrestling. And once he found out that I had gone home and watched some wrestling on TV so that I could understand his interest, right, he started showing me all the books and magazines and he would bring them in and we would talk about them and he would tell me everything about them. And it, it gave me also a connection with him that I didn't have before. It helped us strengthen our relationship. So I think 
I learned from him, right, how to expand my ideas about what it means to be a reader and to not limit myself to just academic reading. But it also showed me how having these conversations with kids about their experiences and their interests really led to um, a deeper relationship. Um, and so that that was able to come from uh, working with Ronnie in that way. Sarah was interesting because Sarah was a part of my dissertation. And so I spent, Sarah was one of three girls that I spent following around for an entire academic year. But of the three, Sarah was the one who really turned things on its head for me because I was really interested in how can we help middle school teachers who've got kids, you know, as a middle school teacher, high school teacher, you've got kids in your class with this broad range of reading abilities and you have to teach them all. How do we do that effectively in a way that doesn't make the kids that are struggling feel marginalized or embarrassed, right? That's kind of how I wanted to, that's the career that I wanted to have. I wanted to focus on that problem. But I started at it with my dissertation thinking about what is it like to be a so-called struggling reader and, and how, do they, how do they view the class? How do they make decisions? What are they doing with the information that their teacher is giving them, right? Because at that point, right, we typically peg struggling readers as it's your fault, right? You're, you're being lazy. You're unmotivated. You don't like to read. You don't want to read. And I've never met a kid like that. I've met, I've met lots of kids that, you know, they test below grade level. But I've never met a kid that says, I hate reading. They, they might hate reading in your class. <laughs> they might say, I hate reading science or something like that, right? Or I hate reading this topic. But they don't hate everything. They, they have things that they like to read. And so it was sort of understanding, right, that the way that we are seeing them is not, is not the reality. It's not how they are seeing themselves. So Sarah, Sarah's teacher, Mrs. O'Reilly, really spent a lot of time trying to provide reading instruction to help her students become better readers. And for me, I wanted to know, hey, Sarah, your teacher's busting her butt, like, you know, like all teachers are, you know, how well do you understand this stuff? And, and how are you using it, right? Like, I wanted to know how it was making an impact on her. And she pretty much looked at me and said, you are asking the wrong question, because it doesn't matter whether I understand this stuff is irrelevant. She's like, I'm not going to use it, right? Because she wasn't going to use it because she thought that using it meant that she would have to show everybody that she's not a good reader because she wouldn't be as good at, at using these things as they were. And then she would just, you know, be mortified and embarrassed and made fun of. And so then now we can think about instruction, right? Because you have to think about if, and, and Sarah's not the only kid. This is, turns out, as I've, as I've done my research over the years, this is a very common perspective. So if you want to help kids, it's not just about, I have to teach this skill, I have to teach this strategy, and I have to teach it well. I mean, of course, that, that's part of it. But if we don't think about the social implications that kids are experiencing or are afraid they're going to experience, and we don't figure out how to bridge that with them, then teach your heart out and teach as well as you want. It's not going to make, it's not going to make an impact. And that was, you know, kind of getting back to the first question about the what led me to that. I'm really tired of policymakers and, and, you know, everything in the news, just positioning teachers as being the problem. That's not the problem. What you, what, what happens is teachers, you know, there's this, there's this, um, I don't know, expectation, right. That it's all about the teacher, but it's a two-way street. You can be an amazing teacher and you can teach in all the ways that the research says will help kids. 
That kid has to make that decision to do those things. You cannot, we don't control that. We can set up the conditions for it, but we don't control it. And I think you're just a hundred percent correct. And it's a conversation that we haven't really had about tapping into kids' motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when I came out uh, with a degree in secondary English, no one had told me that I was going to have to connect with kids. Uh, and at that time, of course, I started teaching in a long time ago. Uh, you know, I, I was immersing myself in rap because that's what my kids were into. Uh, and, and so it's one of those things where if you're not prepared for that, then you may not capitalize on those opportunities that give you entrance into kids' yep. lives and therefore buy you that kind of connection that allows you to move them forward. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. So you've been doing research in a school, which is part of what you talk about in the TED Talk. What can Mm -hmm. you tell us about this research? So for that project, I worked with uh, eighth grade English teacher, Ms. Winters. And the whole purpose of that project was how do we take right this understanding that you've got kids that have reading difficulties. We want to help them improve. They also want to improve, but they're afraid to take that step forward because they're afraid of social embarrassment, right? So how do we design instruction that is responsive and recognizes and says, we hear you, so that those students will start to feel comfortable taking risks? So that was that was what that instruction was designed to do. And really, what I like about it is Ms. Winters just went about her normal business for the most part. And what we did was we changed how she talked. And we also worked to set up a community of readers where we, we had these conversations because they're eighth graders. So they've heard a lot about what does it mean to be a good reader? And if you say to your kids, hey, this is what a good reader does, which for a while is a very popular way to talk about it. And I understand that because you're trying to signal to kids, right? This is what good readers do. But when you say that, what you're implying is what bad readers do. Um, And so kids, and I've had kids say, oh, my teacher tells me that if I use these strategies, this is what good readers do. I've tried to use them. It's hard. I can't do it. Therefore, I must be a bad reader, right? So they, even though logically, no teacher intends that, conclude, right? Nobody's trying to get kids to that place, but that's what they're doing. And it makes sense, right? From a, you know, like a 13-year-old perspective, it totally makes sense. So we had these conversations with them about their experiences. We talked to them about the language around reading, um, how people get labeled and, and these terms like good reader and, and poor reader and stuff like that. Um, and we we banished them within the classroom. We said, what we're doing is we're talking about we are a community of readers and what that looks like um, and how easy or difficult it might be for you is going to happen on a continuum. And maybe English class is always super easy for you. And maybe English class is always super hard for you, but I bet you go to somebody else's class and you have a different experience. So, so we talked about that. And, you know, one of the things that we did was we had kids set goals for themselves for what they wanted to improve upon. Um, and like, you know, one of the big ones was um, vocabulary. A lot of the kids in this winter's class said, I want to learn these big, hard words, right? They want, they thought it was really cool if they could read big, hard words and knew what they meant, you know, when they saw them in print. Now, We had them set goals for themselves. And the thing is, is when you ask your kids to set goals for themselves, you might read those goals and think, 
well, that's that's not what you need to work on. You have a really great vocabulary. You know, what you need to work on is this other thing over here. You ha- you can't do that. <laughs> like, it's like, as the teacher, you have to keep that to yourself and just be like, okay, I'm going to provide you with these other opportunities that I know you need that, that you're not aware of, but you can't like, you know, dismiss their, their goals in any way. You have to say, okay, you want to work on vocabulary. Okay. And we would share with them, this is, these are like the top three goals that people want to work on. And that's what we're going to start working on. And so then, you know, Ms. Winters, if she's going to teach vocabulary, she can teach it however she wants. I wasn't there to tell her how to teach it or even when to teach it. But when she would do it, she would remind them, hey, a lot of you have said you want to increase your vocabulary knowledge. I'm going to help you do that today. Right. We just reminded them a lot. A lot. Not everybody wants to increase their vocabulary knowledge, but a lot of you do. And, you know, we just kept hitting on those goals. And then we would have kids revise and reflect on their goals throughout the year. And and that's that's what we did with that with that with that classroom, with that work. Which really resonates with what the research tells us mm-hmm. about goal setting for students. Yep. Yep. Because I mean, they and they have ownership in it, you know, and. We are, and the kids know, they're like, yeah, you can't be teaching every goal every day all the time, but they, they see that we're doing it because it's happening at multiple times every week, right? We're making these connections for them. So they, they learn that we take your goals seriously. We're going to ask you to do some other things too, that you didn't say were your goals, but we take your goals seriously. And we're going to make sure that that gets integrated throughout the year. I love it. So what were some of the big lessons that you learned during this year? I, I think I think I will start with my most surprising one. And this one is not in the TED Talk. So, and I didn't even know this was going on until after the fact. Like I, I didn't catch it in the classroom. I caught it, you know, when I was analyzing data and going through transcripts. So one of the things that came out, like, um, is we did have kids that were considered to be struggling readers and they didn't believe they were very good readers. And over the course of the study, they started to change their participation. So they started, they started to ask questions, right? They started to engage in conversations. They started to use the instruction, which that's great. That's, we want to see that. And that's, I do talk about that in the TED Talk. But the one big thing that I don't talk about is that there were some kids that were considered to be very good readers, right? Like sort of like these leaders in the classroom. And they pushed back on those kids, when, when the kids that were considered to be poor readers, when they started to sort of, hey, I have a question, hey, I have a contribution, there were a couple of kids that would be like, no, you don't know what you're talking about, you're wrong, right? They would they would talk over them. I had an example um, where one girl was singing over this young man, and he was like, you need to listen to me, you know? And then at the end of their um, little group discussion, the teacher had asked them to evaluate how, you know, do like a self-evaluation. And this girl was like, well, we did great. And he was like, no, wait a minute. Like you didn't listen to me. Like I was trying and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We all did great. You did great. We all did great. And he was like, no, you need to listen to me. And she wasn't going to listen to him. Now it, it made up a very small percentage of the data. Um, it wasn't like it was happening all the time because if it was happening all the time, I would like to think we would have noticed it. But I think one of the things to keep in mind, if you start to do this kind of work where you're trying to get kids that are struggling, seen as struggling readers and have this history of being seen that way by their peers, when they start to speak out, 
you may have a kid or two that pushes back on that. That thinks, no, this kid isn't smart enough. This kid isn't good enough. This kid shouldn't be doing these things. This kid should be listening to me. That was, I think, the biggest surprise that I learned during that year. It was shocking, honestly. Imagine it was, especially because you had no clue until you were going back Mm -hmm. through that that kind of thing was happening. Yep. Yep. It wasn't until we started, had transcribed stuff and were able to sort of look at like small group and whole class conversations on a more fine grained, you know, way that I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like to an extent, this is happening. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So you developed a strategy called the partnership approach. What is this and how does it work? Yeah. So um, the reading partnership approach, I've kind of talked about it implicitly a little bit. So it's this idea that we don't do things to students. We do things with students. So instead of saying, you need to read this and I'm going to give this instruction to you and you need this remediation, that's where the goal setting comes in, right? Where we say to them, we want you to set some goals for yourself. We're going to work on this together. I'm going to be teaching you things that align with your goals. I'm going to be teaching you other things that don't align with your goals, right? Totally different stuff. Um, And we're going to, we come to the table together because like I was saying earlier, you can, you can teach super well, but if the kid doesn't pick up that instruction and do something with it, then you might as well just, you know, be hanging out, teaching to a wall, right? Um, So really improving kids' reading abilities. And I would say improving kids' abilities in any capacity, right? In any um, context, it is a partnership that you take up with them. They have to see themselves. And a lot of these kids, it was this was also something pretty surprising. They didn't see their own like role in having control over how they could grow as a reader. So I had kids say to me, well, I hope my teacher is good this year because if I don't have a good teacher, I can't be a good reader or I can't be a good writer. Okay, yeah, okay, maybe you, 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 we've all had a bad teacher. And I'm not saying that doesn't have an impact. But to say, like, I don't have any control over the situation, that's never true. Because even if you really do legitimately have a bad teacher, you can still take charge and, and, find, and figure out ways to, to be better. So it's helping kids understand they play a role in this. The teacher can't make you be a good reader. You, the teacher can give you the tools and the environment and the context to help you grow. You have to engage with that. That's that's what I mean by partnership. Yeah, I was just thinking about you know leading the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And right. you know, we've experienced that for years as teachers. But just thinking that tweaking what we say and how we say it mm-hmm. could possibly overcome a lot of that resistance that students have given us is really just a game changer for so many kids that otherwise are not going to engage in this work at all. Yeah. And and I will, I will tell you real quick, like I did have a student at the end of this project that said to me, basically, she, I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl, but, but anyways, the student said like, you know, I see that Ms. Winters is trying to like address the things that are important to me. And because I see that she's trying to do what's important to me, I'm willing to try to do the things that, that she asks of me. And it was this, she tries, so I tried. It was like, my teacher, I can tell my teacher really is listening to me. So I'm going to do things that maybe I wouldn't normally do. So it's, and this is big with adolescents, right? They want to be listened to, they want to be heard. And so I think if you can show that and create a context where you clearly value that, they will, it, it takes time. You have to give it a few months. That's in the TED talk too. You have to give it like four or five, six months 
but they will come around and you'll start to see some really good changes. Yeah. Anyone who's worked with adolescents knows that relationships are of utmost importance. Yep. And showing students that you are there for them, Mm -hmm. that it's not just about doing a job. It's about, I'm here to help you. Yep. Yep. I've just found that that really went a long way for my students. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find out more information on this research and specifically the partnership approach? So the TED Talk does go over the partnership approach and it outlines some of the major steps. It doesn't get into all the fine grain details because there wasn't enough time for that. I do have a few articles that you know, talk about the partnership approach in a variety of ways. And if people, people can email me and I'm happy to, to send those to them and share that with them and talk about that with them more. Yeah, because I honestly am thinking, okay, how do I take what you've described mm-hmm. and then help people implement that in the classroom? Yeah. And I think that the simplest thing that you could do right now, if you're like, I don't have time to read an article and I don't want to watch your TED talk, <laughs> like what can I do right now is just give your kids a sheet of paper and say, hey, write down two to three goals that you have for how you would like to improve as a reader. Write them down. And take those, um, you know, group them together, right? Vocabulary. Um, another one was like pronouncing difficult words, right? Somebody, I think the third one was fluency, right? Just kind of group them and figure out what your top maybe three or so are. Share that information with your kids and say, okay, these are the top three goals. We're going to start working on these. And also we're going to work on some other things, just so you know, but we're going to work on these too. And then start working on it and remind them that you're working on it. Remind them, hey, you guys said you wanted this. That's why we're doing this. And then about maybe every six weeks or so, set, give them back their goal sheet. Don't throw the goal sheet in the garbage. Give it back to them and say, these were your goals. Now, tell me, are these the same goals that you need going forward? What, and, and I asked the kids too, we asked them, what did you do to help yourself make progress with these goals? And what did you do that hindered you? Right. So we ask them to own up to things in both ways, because you'll have some kids that will say, well, you know, kind of didn't always do what I was asked to do, but I've started to get a little bit better at it. Right. We want them to realize you play a role in this. I can only as a teacher do so much. And so I would say, like, just for starters, that's all you have to do is come up with some goal, get find out what the top few goals are in your class and start designing instruction around it. And then just keep, you know, refining, having kids reflect on it and refine those. That would be what I would do straight out of the gate. Yeah. And that's pretty easy. It doesn't cost you anything and has the potential for some pretty big payoffs. Yes. Love it. So what are some of the other things that people who are working with struggling adolescent readers need to know? Oh, let's see. Some other things that people need to know. They will, like, and like I've said before, they actually really care about reading. They really care about school. You might say, now I can find you this one kid in my class who, you know, but no, trust me, that kid really does. That kid really does care. They really want to get better at reading. What I think is interesting about struggling readers, adolescent readers, in my overall experience with them, is that they are not grade motivated. These are kids that are used to getting poor grades. They don't like it, but when you talk to them, If you try to motivate them with grades, it's probably not going to be the thing that works because what they have all kind of collectively said to me is, 
Yes, better grades would be nice. That's that's nice, whatever. But what I would really like to do is learn more. Like they really are motivated to learn more and they just see better grades as a byproduct, but not the not an external motivating factor. They're used to getting bad grades. They know how to deal with it. So I think what I would say is know that they really care about school. They would really love for things to be different. They really do want to learn. They just need you to help them find an entryway back in. I agree completely. A lot of times we attribute this, you know, I don't care attitude. And it's really just this kind of self-protection around, you know, I'm used to struggling. And so therefore I'm not going to try because that's who I am. Yes. Yes. I mean, they, if you're a middle or high school teacher, keep in mind, they've had years of this. So they kind of think this is who I am. Like, how is this going to change? You need to show them that they can and that it's not this life sentence that this is just who you are. Agreed. So any thoughts on where we are post pandemic with adolescent readers, both those that are strong readers and those that struggle? Yeah, I know, you know, and I've talked to some teachers about this and particularly I think one of the challenges I've heard teachers talk about with the kids that struggle is, you know, during, during the pandemic, right. When they were at home, they weren't necessarily at home with good support systems. And so some teachers had really built these relationships and inroads and had been starting to make progress with these adolescents who struggle. And then the pandemic hit and it's just like this huge backslide. And, and some kids have even, have even gone on to drop out of school. Like they haven't even come back because like they just, they just don't see a place for them anymore. And, and their families aren't going to, aren't, you know, sort of pushing that for them to go back. So I think, you know, one of the things with kids who struggle is this idea that they, I mean, they've really, whatever routines and, and things that you had in place and relationships, those sort of fell apart during the pandemic um, and they have to be rebuilt, but it's not the same as like, oh, it's the first day of school. And I know this kid has a bad history with school and with reading. So I, I'm going to work really hard to make a relationship. It's different than that. Even particularly if you had a relationship before, but even if you didn't, they've kind of gone off for a year or two and they may not necessarily, they've been, they've been having a good time, a great time. Some of these kids have been out there from, from reports I've getting four wheeling and, you know, not doing, you know, just having a great vacation and they can't see further down the road. What's going to, this is not going to pay off well for them. In some cases there may be, depending on the age, there may be little that, that you can really do about that. Right. Because some of these kids have said, I'm not coming back and they don't, but I think for those that, you know, you can get back, it's really going to be about list, having some deep listening with them, understanding what they went through and sort of reestablishing norms and routines. I almost think of it in a way like kindergarten. Like some of these kids are going to have to relearn how to be in school, how to engage with books. You may see temper tantrums and meltdowns that you didn't see before because they've gone a year or more without, without having to deal with the things that they have to deal with, you know, in class on an everyday basis. So from what I'm hearing from, from teachers that I've talked with in Wyoming, um, it's a real, it's a real struggle with the adolescents who are struggling, right. For those that come back to school and some of them are not coming back at all. And, and the teachers haven't been able to, to get them to, you know, it's out of their control, but the strong readers are the kids that are most likely kept. They were, they already had good systems in place, 
that were working for them. Um, I think what I'm hearing from teachers is that all like, maybe not all kids, but like, it's very common that when they come back, they just, they're, they're not socialized anymore. So they're going to need some sort of re-socialization, be it strong reader or struggling reader. Um, some kids obviously will be happy to be back in that zone and they'll fall right into it. But I think a lot of kids are going to need help sort of being re-socialized to school, being around other kids like that. Um, Cause they haven't been around, you know, some of these kids haven't been around other kids for a couple of years and they they're they may even be behind on just their social skills. So I think that's something to keep in mind um, with both of those groups. Which really goes back to why the goal setting is so important, because if you can mm-hmm. tap into what is my long term goal and yeah. I don't know that I've ever talked to a young person who didn't have some sort of goal for their life. Right. It may be a goal that I just think, oh, you could do so much better than that. Right. But they have some idea of what they're going to do. Yes. Yep. So it's a really hard time right now, I think. I think it is too. And I just think this idea of trying to fill in what was missed is very stressful for teachers and therefore trickles down to students, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is already stressful for some of them. And so it's not a good recipe. So I think we've got to somehow change that recipe up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. So what are you working on now or next that you're excited about? Yeah. So I think one of the things I've been working on that's a little, it's related, but different is I've really been working on how we can use artificial intelligence to help get some of this research information and make it accessible to teachers, no matter where they live. So having, um, you know, been living and working in Wyoming, you know, it's really opened my eyes to what it means to be a teacher and a, and a student in a rural school, because I, up until that point, had only lived in large cities, had only worked, you know, in schools that were in urban contexts. Um, and, and it's not that what I'm saying doesn't apply there. It's just what, it, in a rural environment, it just really opened up my eyes to how do we make the research that we're learning about adolescent literacy more accessible to everybody, no matter where you live, no matter how much money your district does or does not have. And so one of the things that I've been doing is using um, Amazon Alexa and thinking about how we can design what's called a flash briefing to give teachers short snippets of information um, about a specific topic. So I don't know how familiar your listeners are with flash briefings, but they're really short. Like it's shorter than a podcast. I mean, they're like maybe at the most three minutes long. And so being able to say today, we're talking about this one tiny thing related to adolescent literacy, or you might have a theme across the month and every, you know, maybe three, four five days a week, you have one tiny little thing that you hear and that you get to learn. They're really easy to make um, and, and publish on Amazon. And I can, you know, you can set them up so they're free. And so I'm really interested in seeing how that can make an impact with teachers, how it can impact teacher learning, how it can really make some of this research accessible, like I said, to to everyone, regardless of where you live. Well, I have always known that you were interested in the technology side, but that uh, is a really cool addition to what we typically think of as, you know, teacher learning. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways that learning, you know, can take place these days. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what that what that looks like. That's awesome. 
Lee, I want to thank you for being with me today. It is always a pleasure talking to you and learning from you. You're making such a huge difference. And I can't wait to see what people do with this information. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. It's great to to come on and chat again. Absolutely. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network.